We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. I'm your host, Dave D2 Martinez. Unfortunately, I am going solo for this episode as Mike could not join us today. But I want to start off by congratulating everyone that raced this weekend. By the time this episode airs, Marine Corps Marathon will be in the rear view. Um, Havelina 100, I know that we have you know several people that not only completed uh, and, and hopefully PR'd at Marine Corps 100, but I also have a friend of mine that is doing her second 100 miler, uh, and it was this past weekend at Havelina 100. Also, for those of you, this is an awesome time for running. There have been some exciting news since our last episode. We had Ilyad Kipchoge, who set a new uh, record and broke the two-hour barrier. Now, granted, it was not a, it's not classified as a world, uh, true world record, but did break that barrier. Um, it is, it was not a sanctioned uh, race. It was, uh, you know, put together and there's maybe a little bit of controversy whether it's it it counts or not. But still, to to run a marathon, 26.2 miles in one hour 59 minutes and 40 seconds is something that, regardless of 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 whether it's a world record or not, it is still an unbelievable feat and should be celebrated. That same weekend in Chicago, um, Bridget Koski broke a world uh set a, a new women's world record in two hours 14 minutes and four seconds uh at, at the marathon course um another one that just happened this past weekend maggie and i, I believe it's gutter uh did big dog ultra and it and she it's a, a last man standing so it's a course it's a four mile loop course that you have to complete within 60 minutes and it's basically um, ultra runners run until there's only one person left. And in this case, it was a woman. Maggie ran for 60 hours, logged 250 miles as a last person. Last person, not woman, but she beat out men at the Big Dog Ultra. Man, that is impressive. Um, we also heard of Shalane Flanagan retired. Um, so, you know, a little disappointing to hear the news. She has been such an inspiration and just has elevated, you know, running and just inspired so many women. But she's going to continue to contribute. Um, she is moving on to be a full-time coach for the Bowerman Track Club. So I'm sure we'll hear more from Shalane and we'll see her influence uh, in women's running. And we may see, you know, her here in Atlanta uh, for the Olympic trials. I'm sure she'll be around for that. So congrats to everyone. And, you know, congrats to all these incredible women that are doing some phenomenal things for running. I mean, it's just, it's just so great at this point to, to be part of this running community and just to be really excited and inspired and motivated. Speaking of all these marathon and ultra distances, we're going to get into nutrition and training because right now we are in the midst of the marathon season, the fall marathon season. We've had Chicago, we've had Marine Corps, we've got New York City Marathon, we've got Savannah, and probably others that are coming up. Many of you are training for, many of you are probably gearing up for spring marathons next year, maybe even 
you know, trying to qualify for Boston, or maybe you qualify for Boston, you're trying to get that, that great uh, results and, and um, for next spring. And whether it's Publix Marathon or any other uh, marathon, you know, that's coming in the spring, you probably should start if you haven't done so already, if you haven't completed, many of us com- will still struggle to nail the nutrition part right. It is a an experiment of one. It is a, a constant tweaking and adjustment to see what works and what doesn't work. And luckily today we have an expert. We have with us Jacob Geisler, and he is a tech rep for Goo Energy, but his background is, is, is he's an expert. He's is not just about promoting the Goo Energy brand and their products, but he comes from a background, first of all, from Run Specialty. So he used to work at a running store down in Florida called FitNiche. He is a certified exercise physiolog- a physiologist. He is a USA Triathlon Level 1 coach. Masters in has a master's in exercise and nutrition science from the University of Tampa, and a bachelor in exercise science in uh, from the University of South Florida. He placed third American in the ITU age group draft league world championship in 2016. He is a top 10 age group uh, nationals in. Um, and has also uh, finished top 10 in his age group at Ironman Chattanooga just this year, uh, 2019. So a a lot of expertise, a lot of knowledge, um, and we're going to share that with you because we have all had our share of mistakes, myself included. We'll get into that as well. But what we want to do is try to educate you and try to minimize that learning curve, try to help you not make the same mistakes that we have made, that many people make, and try to get you to the point where you're able to perform at the level that you are, are expecting of yourself, but also to recover and stay healthy so that you continue to improve um, over time at these races, at whatever training you're uh, doing, whether it's at the 5K distance, if you're just starting out, all the way up to a marathon and beyond, even if you're going into you know, ultra distances or long, more endurance type distances like ultra type of the distances beyond the marathon or even Ironman. So we'll have that. We'll be back with Jacob right after this break. Fall is here and training starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across the finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Purchase 10 or more individual packets and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Clubs and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Come into any Big Peach Running Company location and stock up so you're ready for those long runs. All right, and welcome back. So we are here with Jacob Geisler. He is a tech rep for Goo Energy, but he's got a background in run specialty. He has worked at uh, Fitness, which is down in um you know, Florida. So he's done run special. He's worked as a, I believe as a, as a general manager and just, you know, working just like Big Peach Running Company, working in the retail space. But he's also a certified exercise physiologist, a USA triathlon level one coach, master's in exercise and nutrition science. Um, so obviously he's very qualified. Thank you, Jacob, for taking your time to uh, spend with us and um, kind of educate us on sports nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be a, be a guest. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, we want to kind of 
do on on this episode of the, of the Run ATL podcast is we want to make sure that we educate our listeners to sports nutrition, the importance of it, because you know on, on the best day, execute a sports nutrition plan, you're going to have a great race. On the other end, you know, without the proper nutrition, without the proper preparation, you could end you up in the medical tent, you know, potentially, right? Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. I think that you, your opportunity is is far greater to have a successful race when you dial in your nutrition uh, equally as much. If you you train your body, you train your mind, you know, it's it's equally important, if not more important, to train your gut. You know, we talk to people all the time in and out of running stores that they buy socks, they buy shoes, they go demo uh, this and that, and they, you, you know, put in the importance of sports bras and this and that. And, you know, you can finish your race with a blister on your big toe, whereas if you head to the Porter John, you know, and you have some gut issues, it can really ruin your race day. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've all have had our own kind of stories, right, where we've made mistakes. And I know based on your background, um, you know, first of all, you've got a degree in exercise and nutrition science. So what exactly does that mean for someone that isn't familiar with what that degree entails? Yeah. So it, I think it's important, and I'll say this only for my own ego sake, it's not a PE degree. And not that there's anything wrong with physical education, but my degree in the exercise science, exercise physiology, kinesiology, they're all relatively synonymous with different specializations. And so with exercise science in particular, it's the science of what exactly happens to the human body before, during, and after exercise, or what happens when you apply the stimulus of exercise to the human body. There's conditioning, there's strength and conditioning, there's aerobic conditioning, there's endurance exercise, there's Pilates, there's different types of exercise that people uh, people take on each and every day. And there's different things that happen to the body. You know, for instance, you know, when you have a goal of losing weight or training for a marathon or gaining weight, gaining muscle, there's different things that happen to the body and there's different ways to optimize accomplishing that goal. And then when you take on nutrition science, as a nutritionist, certainly in the state of Florida, it's largely different from dietetics in that I can educate on nutrition more more than just saying apples are good for you and french fries are not so good for you. But a, a dietitian applies specific suggestions and says, Dave, you know, based on your goals, this is how you should eat. I cannot legally do that. I need to stay within my scope of practice. Now we can have a conversation about nutritional science and education and what happens to the body. I think it, both of those scientific studies are, uh, uh, the application is to the body. And then what happens, uh, when you have a goal in mind and you want to try and accomplish it, how can you go about it? Knowing that what we know about, here's what happens to your heart rate, your respiratory, your body during exercise. And when you eat the way you eat, and then here's your goal. How can we connect those two dots? So, uh, you know, that's interesting because, I mean, that was one of the questions and the things that I wanted to kind of get into was the difference between a dietitian and, and you know, what you do and, and what your background is. I mean, you're yeah. basically focused more on performance in athletic, at least athletic performance and this nutrition that goes into fueling those type of activities and how to best do it, you know, through, I guess, you know, minimizing injury and any type of, you know, um, you know, condition that could, you know, potentially hurt someone. 
So. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think when you're an undergrad in exercise science, it's a very general, uh, it's a very general sense of education applied to exercise science or physiology. And then within your second or third year of undergrad, students will start to figure out what path they want to go down. And so when I didn't know what graduate school was all about until I started to realize that, and, you know, as a, as a junior or senior in college, you know, entering my third year for sure, students would start to realize, okay, I want to go down the physical therapy route, occupational therapy, or you got guys that want to work for college teams. And so they want to go down the strength and conditioning route. They have guys that just want to be personal trainers, guys and girls. Um, and so you start to realize that, okay, there's some that want to do cardiovascular, um, rehabilitation. There's some that want to do, you know, they want to study specifically sport performance and they want to work for companies like Gatorade who, you know, they specialize in, you know, what exactly happens to high, high, high end athletes. And then when you move into graduate school, it's more cutting edge. And so you have conversations on a daily basis about current research. And what people will realize about exercise science and nutrition is that whether you're in the industry or not, information changes all the time. There's research coming out each and every day that uh, that complements research that's been done 10 years ago and that totally contradicts research that was done 10 years ago. You know, we could talk about, for instance, the protein window, for instance, you know, for years and years, everyone's been told that it's so important to get in a certain amount of protein immediately after your workout. And that there's no, there's, there's a research on both sides that say there is an effect. And then the protein window is essentially a myth. And as long as you eat at some point after your workout within, whether it's four, six, eight, ten 10 hours, you're still getting um, the benefit of that protein, regardless of whether it's within 10 minutes after or 20 minutes after or two or three hours after. And so there's just, you, you, you talk about that in a more, um, a more like-minded, you have your, you have your students around you, you have your advisors around your professors. And so everyone's talking about the conversation of, well, what's relevant, what's applicable, what's current, what's outdated, and we and, and then a lot of times it can boil into, well, let's do our own research, so to speak. Well, that's interesting because, you know, as you said, the, as, you know, as it relates to protein window, I mean, I remember, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where I was doing triathlons and, and really, you know, getting an Ironman and long distance where I think recovery in order to maximize that recovery so you can continue to um, add on those long training days and the, sometimes even two a days recovery becomes very important. So I do recall hearing that window, that 30 minute window after a, a, a hard workout, making sure you get protein in. And I got to a certain point now where I'm not competing, you know, at, and, and maybe not, you know, racing quite as at that intensity where, you know, recovery hasn't been really that important for me. And if I don't have something within that 30 minute window, I feel like, okay, I've lost that opportunity. So then I don't do anything afterwards. So it's interesting right. now to hear and learn that really that window isn't just limited to those 30 minutes. You can, you know, get protein and, and fuel and get that recovery even, you know, hours later. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's talked about even more frequently now is people are realizing that, you know, an exercise your training session, unless you're more or less an, an Olympic athlete where 
your job revolves around your exercise session. But for the layman person, you know, you and I, uh, and certainly most of the people I interact with in retail stores, this is extracurricular for them. This is a small percentage of their day, their exercise session, whether it's spin class, Orange Theory Fitness, they're training for a marathon. Sure, a three-hour run on a Saturday is a is a, a larger percentage of their day, but in the realm of 24 hours, you know, in the majority of the week, their exercise sessions are are a small, you know, one, two, three percent of their day. But what's also equally stressful, if not more so, is their 40-hour work week. They've got a family. They've got, you know, they've got stuff going on that is equally draining as a one or two-hour workout. And so what scientists are realizing now is that stress has an effect on the body. It can be positive. It can be detrimental. And so recovery from your day-to-day activities outside of exercise are as equally important as recovery from your actual workout. And so for you and I, you know, especially years ago, the no pain, no gain mindset where it's like, you, oh man, that workout wasn't that good or I had to cut it short. So like, I'm not going to worry about recovery because I didn't do, I didn't do that hard of a workout to warrant any type of recovery drink or like stretching or any of this. So it's like, I'm not even going to worry about it. But you and I both know working a 40 hour work week, certainly in the retail space is pretty exhausting and that requires a certain level of recovery as well. It's interesting because I think, you know, for those individuals that, like you said, are, it's only a small percentage. Because, I mean, when we look at athletes, and especially those competing at a higher level, whether it's Olympic or a professional level, I mean, their their job is to perform at that level. So they're training and maybe putting, you know, multiple workouts throughout the day. They've got a masseuse. They've got all these things to keep them healthy. But for us, we, you know, go out and let's say, you know, we do a run first thing in the morning and we're doing anywhere from, say, a three to five mile run. And then we just, you know, start our day and we, you know, maybe are not, you know, eating properly. Maybe we're not stretching. We're not doing things that we should do in a more holistic approach to keep us healthy. And I guess that also means things like even sleep as important as part of that recovery process, but also to help kind of reduce that stress and just to keep us in a better state of mind, you know, just throughout the day and even the work week. Right. And what we're realizing now is that, you know, I did a podcast not long ago and, and the, the interviewer asked me, you know, what's the most important, you know, after an hour talking about exercise science and nutrition and goo energy labs and all this stuff as it ties to, to endurance sports, he said, you know, what's the most important thing that our listeners can take away? And I think I surprised him because my answer was the, the most important thing relative to optimizing everything that we'll talk about today is, in my opinion, sleep. And a lot of people don't realize how important sleep is to optimizing, you know, the the whole achieving your goal process. You know, sleep is so important to digestion and absorption, losing weight, improving fitness, whatever it might be, that it's kind of like being dehydrated. Probably more important that the smallest amount of sleep deprivation similar to the smallest amount of dehydration can actually cause the most amount of damage to the human body, which will ultimately translate into, you know, a lack of performance, whether it be PR and 5k, 10k marathon, or, you know, qualifying for the Olympics. 
I mean, that, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because that was actually going to be one of like my final questions was, you know, what was, what would be the one advice regarding yeah. recovery, right? <clears throat> so for anyone that's Sleep, listening, yeah, you know, sure. you no longer have to listen to the whole, whole podcast if you right, want that yeah. one valuable, you know, on a uh, piece Sleep. of nugget. Is, is sleep. Yep. And that's one of the things that, you know, you know, for me, when I was, you know, being more competitive and, and by competitive, I'm, in no means am I talking like age group placement or anything like that. I'm just talking about competitive with myself and just, you know, yeah. higher intensity as opposed to, oh, I'm just going for an easy run. It was very structured where, you know, I'm running X amount, you know, uh, days a week or X amount of mileage based on what I'm training for, what the goal is, whether it was uh-huh. a sprint distance or Olympic half or full Ironman distance, um, you know, I had a specific, you know, you know, training schedule that I was felt like I had to do. And I think many mm-hmm. people are like that, right? They feel that if, if they don't follow it, they're going to, you know, not achieve their goals. And in doing so, sometimes, as you said, the body just needs to recover. The body needs that sleep. But sometimes we push, you know, forward and says, you know, well, the schedule says I need to, you know, do an interval workout today, or the schedule says I need to go out and run, even if it's an easy run, or sometimes you're saying it might be best, you know, to just maybe, you know, just get a couple extra hours of sleep that may help you get just better performance gains because you're of your recovery. Yeah. It's often better to, to check that box, um, because, you know, just this morning, for instance, I I really wanted to hit uh, a master's swim class, and it was it was you know I haven't been able to swim all week, for instance, and you've got this race coming up, and so. But that being said, it's like I I don't sleep super well in hotels. Uh, I would say a half or more than often I do not sleep well in hotels, and so flying to different time zones on Monday and then getting to hotels late Monday night on a plane Tuesday, different state, different time zone on Tuesday night. And so like I'm being jerked around quite a bit. And so obviously I chose to not work out Monday and Tuesday. And so now I got home Wednesday, wanted to wake up at 5 a.m. to hit make a swim class on Thursday morning. And, you know, the alarm went off and rather than you know, getting up, slugging my way to the car, getting in the car, driving to the pool and showing up to swim practice in a 50%, 60% state rather than showing up as close to 100%. I would have, people can probably relate to the fact of like, you know, you show up and you train tired. There's a relatively good stimulus and a good training effect that takes place. But when that happens repeatedly, you put yourself in a situation where training you're training in a state of you know less than you're not very fresh you're not very you're not in a good place to have good form have good skill have good technique or have good peace of mind knowing that i'm applying a stimulus to the right physical condition and a lot of times that can equal overtraining you know you're overtired you get sick batters your immune system or worse, you know, stress fractures and injuries and things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of those things where, you know, eventually I think that can even lead out to, to burnout, right? I mean, if you've got stress 100%. from work, right. And if you've got stress from traveling and you're stressing, you know, your body just by be, trying to be physically active and doing these uh-huh. type of, you know, just to 
check off that you did the workout, you know, you're just stressing the body. And like you said, it does compromise the immune system. Yes, 100%. And I think, and it's not for, it's not bad. You know, people accomplish it all the time. Eventually you'll run out of, I, I equate it to like an energy credit card, you know, it's my, probably my favorite analogy and I beat it, beat it all the time. But, you know, essentially when you work out, you're swiping your credit card and, you know, every time you use your credit card, you are improving your credit in some capacity, but the only way to pay down that balance is to go then recover, whether it be from a nutrition standpoint, from a rest standpoint, from a massage standpoint, and then you pay down that balance. And so the, the less you recover, and the more you exercise, you're not paying down that balance and eventually you're going to max it out. And that maxing out of your energy credit card equals injury or sickness or, you know, battered immune system, whatever it might be. And a lot of people figure that out the hard way. Right. I mean, so, I mean, in the end, it all comes to just finding the right balance. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think... For me, I think as I've gotten older, and I and I and I equate this also because I also see um, a lot of endurance athletes, and we can look at you know, let's say at the Ironman, you know, um, World Championships, or even at the marathon level, at the elite marathon levels, is that typically uh-huh. it's it's the older you know guys. I think that they've kind of through practice because of their nutrition, because of their recovery, they've gotten wiser in the way they kind of treat their body. But also I think it's the years of training as well that get them to that level to where they can, you know, you know, podium and, and win and even break world records. Um, where I feel like, you know, as when we're younger, we tend to be a little bit more aggressive. We don't pay attention. We think we're invincible. That's right. And so I'm guilty of that. <laughs> be, beyond beyond even what that statement says. And I had a conversation with you know, a coworker of mine, Yuri Oswald, who ex-pro or maybe current pro mountain biker, gravel cyclist, he's been in the industry for a long time. And so I was asking him questions about training for, you know, I just started dabbling in gravel bike riding or racing, whatever you want to call it. It certainly doesn't feel like racing to me right now because I'm so novice. But the point is that I was asking him similar questions about how do you get your body to a point that can handle, you know, 10 hour event, 12 hour event. So for me doing a 200 mile race would be a 10 to 12 hour event. He's like, well, you got to remember I've been riding my bike for over 20 years. So his training age, we talked about this in college, you have your biological age and then you have your training age. And so you might have a 50 year old athlete who's been training for one or two years, their training age is one or two years. And so they will not adapt to like the, the effect that fitness and nutrition has on that person will be a lot different than a 50 year old athlete that's been training and exercising for over two decades. And so it takes a lot less time for that person that's been training for 20 years to whip their body into shape. Whereas it takes a long time for me, you know, I've only been doing this, let's say maybe 10 years. And so it takes a lot more time to whip my body into shape than Yuri, who's been riding his bike for 10 years, 20 years, whatever it might be. And so I've only been doing bike riding, you know, I did triathlon for a little bit. I did marathoning for a little bit. So I'm jumping from thing, from one thing to another. Whereas look at every Olympic athlete. They've been 
back training since, you know, they were young children. And now they're in their 20s and 30s and sometimes 40s with decades of a training experience. And so that's people, I think, sometimes forget that that is a huge differentiator between, uh, you know, elite, elite athletes and the rest of the population. Excellent. So, I mean, so experience makes a difference. That's so it's, it's, it, you know, just cause we're getting older, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we're out of it. We may actually have a leg up on, on some of you young guys. I think so. Especially <laughs> from being like a, the, in the longer the distance, we seem to have noticed that older athletes are prevailing, um, in the longer distances you have like the winners of all of these ultra distance events, certainly marathons included, older individuals often prevail. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've competed in long distance events and I might place relatively well within my age group, but then, you know, I'm 29. And so 40 to 44, 45 to 49 year olds have better times than I do. And it's, and it, it boils down to, you know, intelligence, you know, in terms of like how, how smart of a racer you are, but also certainly experience. All right. That's good to know. So, so one of the things that, you know, obviously we're talking about experience and sometimes we learn from, from that experience. So when you, you know, started racing, I mean, I'm, we've all made some, some, you know, race day fueling mistakes. I mean, do, do you have any you want to share with us? Oh, my own mistakes? Yeah. Yeah, so even within the last four or five years, I can tell you that uh, I've made mistakes such as trying new things on race day. You know, they always say don't do that. And, you know, I did Ironman Chattanooga last year, and I would say an easy mistake that I made, which is, it's going to sound so silly, right? Like I'm supposed to be a nutritionist. I educate on this all the time, but I trained, I trained with less nutrition than I used in the race. And so I did most of my training indoors. Basically what I'm saying is that I trained all year long riding my bike indoors. If you've ever been to Raleigh, North Carolina, you'll know that they're not, it's not the most road cyclist friendly environment and then so training indoors i didn't there wasn't the same environment if you will as like well chattanooga you know right race race course and so i get to the race and then i start it's very difficult obviously you've ridden that bike course and uh the heart rate gets higher and so i'm eating my plan was chews on the bikes and gels on the run and and you know the mistake was that lack of recognition that with a chew, like a goo chew, for instance, basically a gummy bear, it's going to take a little bit more work to digest that. And that work has to take place when you're at a lower heart rate. You know, there's no way around it. It's, it's thicker than a liquid and even a gel. So the problem that I ran into was that my heart rate was too high to have this absorption process take place. Um, it's just a, it's a bummer. And then, and in years previous, I've, you know, I've thrown nutrition plans out the window. I've done, I've tried new things on race day. I've, you know, never practiced with what was going to be on course. And then I find myself in a really 
difficult position and I need to grab that Gatorade and then I just get, you know, super sick anyways. But I think a lot, a lot of it boils down to uh, a lack of recognition to outside variables. You know, I didn't look at all of the outside things that I can't control, the weather, the course, the undulation, the elevation, altitude, whatever, like the, whatever it might be, you know, I'm training now in Tampa, Florida. So it's very warm and Raleigh is obviously super warm in the summer times, but I'll go train at a race where it might not, it, it'll, you know, in Tampa, super flat, for instance. So like, and I go to Chattanooga and it's super hilly. And so with that comes a more higher output of effort. And with a higher output of effort, I'm burning more calories. So there's a lot of dot to connect that I haven't in the past. And so, but I mean, that's probably the most memorable, uh, nutrition experience was that Ironman Chattanooga. Boy, it was a bad day. <laughs> well, I, I would say that mine is probably very similar in that uh, for me, it was Ironman, uh, half Ironman at Augusta 70.3. And it was, I believe it was my first half Ironman uh, half. Yeah. My first half Ironman. And mm-hmm. I had gone through and trained consistently and knew what my race plan was. I knew that I had been training probably take somewhere between 200 and 250 calories per hour on the bike. And yeah. then, you know, in the days leading up to it, I remember talking to someone, a friend of mine and, you know, you know, he, he said something along those lines like, well, you're going to burn up, you know, so much more calories than what you're taking in. Are you sure you have enough? Yeah. And at that point I was like, oh, wow. You know, so he kind of got in my head. I let it get in, into my head and then said, well, you know what? I'm going to double the calories. Right. I hadn't trained right. for it. You know, I hadn't trained for it. I hadn't accustomed to it. And it just made for a horrible run, you know, you know, you know stomach issues, you yeah. know, bloating. Yeah. And it just, you know, so yeah, I think you it's- brought back a. You brought back a good memory, not to interrupt, but uh, same situation. So I did Ironman Florida in 2012, and I remember days leading into the race, a non, non-triathlete non individual, but a very good runner by every means of that. what that, what that means. And he was like, he, he mentioned what a human body typically burns in an hour and then asked me how much I'm going to be replenishing. And I, you know... This is someone who has never done an Ironman, and he got into my head basically saying the same thing, that you're going to burn X and you're replenishing with Y. You're, ne- you're, gonna, you're never going to burn up. You're never going to replenish what you burned. And I went home. It was Thursday before the race on Saturday or Sunday, and I, I, ref- I, I was like, you know, this is I need to eat more. And then obviously you throw up at, you know, mile whatever on the run, and it was just a bad day. So, I mean, let's talk about that because that's one of the things I wanted to get into as well was this being calorie deficient, you know, on these longer runs. So whether you're doing, you know, half marathon even or a marathon, I mean, typically from what I've read, um, you end up burning about, depending on the, on the body type, you know, based on, you know, gender and, and, and size and weight, you know, typically I think it's about 100 calories per mile. Right. Um, and most people consume at least can consume anywhere from 200, 250 calories per hour. So there's a deficiency there. I mean, is that something that, you know, um, how, how does a body handle that? I mean, can, is it inevitable that you're going to bonk? Is there a smart way of fueling to kind of prevent that? How does a body process, you know, fuel during exercise? And then also does intensity 
make a difference? Does that affect how, how quickly we uh, use fuel? Yeah, so it's a great question. I don't think it's cause for concern. And the reason I say that is because there's a handful of things happening at the same time. And so you your numbers are, are correct. And I would, I would say the 100 calories happens in about um, – 10 minutes as well. For those people that are like, oh, my mile time is very, very slow. It's like 100 calories every mile and or uh, every 10 minutes. And so the individual that's burning through a five-minute mile may or may not burn 100 calories, but one mile slash 10 minutes, certainly a human can take in about, you know, two to 250, like you mentioned, sometimes more than that. I certainly have, have pushed the envelope and I've underfueled equally in the same. So what's happening is people need to remember that this comes with training and adaptation. And so certainly we're saying these numbers. And then if, if no one has practiced that, they might not 200 calories an hour of, of what they would take in. It might totally send them right to the porta potty. And so it takes a level of training to adjust your gut to your body doesn't want to take in nutrition necessarily during exercise. Your, your body has a decision to make. And when you exercise from a nervous system standpoint, it's the equivalent of being in a fight or flight response. And a lot of your digestion and absorption mechanisms will, will shut down. And so it takes a level of practice to get your body to be okay with, well, even though they're exercising, I still need to get in some calories. And so that I think that's worth mentioning because when we start to think about if I were, if you were just to tell any person what we're talking about right now, the mind would immediately go to, I'm burning 600 calories an hour and I can only take in two to 250. And so the other things that are happening at the same time is you have every person wakes up in the morning with relatively like a, a reservoir, if you will, of both carbohydrates and fat calories ready to be burned. And what you burn first depends on, or what you burn primarily depends on your diet. It depends on the intensity. It depends on the duration. And so you're burning not only what you're giving your body in real time, but you, you're burning what your body already has in storage. And so the diminishing returns is a real thing. You will eventually run out. And that's why certainly on a Goo Energy Labs packet, for instance, you'll see five minutes before and every 45 minutes as a fueling strategy for the energy gel or for the energy chew. And with that, you can complement what I already have in storage versus what I'm going to be burning. And so it's not as much of a cause for concern as as people might think. It's definitely important, but it's not like, oh, I'll never ever replenish what I burn. And and while that might be true, you have like a lot of people are surprised to hear that they have, you know, upwards of a hundred thousand calories of fat that can be burned. You know, if we were go if we were to go for a long walk, for instance, we don't need nearly as like we'll, we'll eventually get hungry, but like we have the the means to walk for a very long time with very little, you know, food to be taken in. Whereas if we start running, eventually 
you will run out of energy and you'll come to like that walking pace because you've hit the wall. You've run out of energy because you were primarily burning carbohydrates versus fat, you know, and I'm kind of rambling at this point, but hopefully that makes sense. No, no. I mean, that does make sense because that, that kind of goes into a little bit of, of what I've heard as far as, you know, I guess glycogen being kind of like that rocket fuel and fat kind of being that long sustaining fuel. So, um, you know, my understanding is, you know, that glycogen and those carbs are, you know, they're, they're, they burn quickly, right? I think the body has maybe about an hour's worth before yeah. it kind of, you know, dip, gets depleted. And then it, it, you know, body says, okay, I need another, you know, uh, source of fuel. And then it starts going into, you know, your fat. And in right. order to process it, the body just necessarily, you know, needs to basically say, well, we can't run or be at that intensity. We have to slow down. And that's, right. is that and typically with, what happens when people kind of bonk or just slow down in general then? That's exactly right. And so without getting into the science of like the Krebs cycle and, and these mechanisms that process fat versus carbs versus protein, but essentially carbohydrates or glycogen is available immediately. It's available efficient, efficiently. It's available immediately relative to a person's heart rate. And so when you're aerobic in nature, basically conversation pace or slower, your body will burn primarily fat or a combination of fat and carbohydrates. And then with the increase of heart rate, with an increase of effort, the demand for fuel is a lot higher. And so your body will lean into carbohydrates because they're easier to absorb, utilize, break down, and turn into immediate energy to deliver to the muscles, to the working engine, whereas fat takes time. It takes time to break down. It takes time to turn into energy when, relatively speaking, carbohydrates are a little bit more efficient in that sense, and then protein takes even more time. And so when you run out of carbohydrates, For an easy way to explain it, and, and you know, this isn't necessarily to be to go to a scientific journal and it's going to be the same words that I'm using, but you run out of carbohydrates. Let's say you're going for an hour or an hour and a half run and you have no nutrition whatsoever. When you run out of carbohydrates, your body starts to slow down and it starts to switch because you're out of carbohydrates. It's obvious you're not going to be delivering any carbohydrates or any fuel source to your body. So your body has a decision to make because it knows that you want to keep going, but from a survival standpoint, we need to switch the fuel source from carbs to fat, but it takes time. And that energy system happens in a lower heart rate zone. And so in a more aerobic zone, you're going to start, you're going to burn fat. And so that, but that takes a lower heart rate to happen. And so that's why sometimes your body slows down. And then when people really hit the wall, it's when their bodies start to pull from their muscles to convert protein into energy. And that's when you start to really feel exhausted. Okay. I mean, that's, that's great information. I want to switch a little bit because what we've been primarily talking about, I think is, is, and, and referencing is really endurance type events. We're talking about, you know, long distance types, anywhere from a half marathon and beyond anything that's probably an over an hour, hour and a half and up. So mm-hmm. many of our listeners are probably maybe just starting out, maybe you know, are more comfortable at a 5K or 10K distance. What are some yeah. of the fueling you know, kind of strategies that are needed? Can, you know, if we're talking about you know, if our body typically has about an, an hour's worth of glycogen, 
is fueling, you know, is it, you know, a good idea to, 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 you know, take gels or any other nutrition during that beforehand or even afterwards for recovery? It's not as important to take during, you know, if your workouts are typically less than an hour on a day to day basis, it's more important for you, uh, to, to put yourself in a position to show up fresh to those workouts. If you're just starting out or if you're just, you know, your workouts are, you know, uh, well, I'll say it again, less than an hour. And it doesn't matter if your goal is to PR, if you, if your goal is to lose weight, but if you're in terms of time, you're spending less than an hour or so working out, it's more important to not show up to that workout depleted. And so a gel has a place before that workout because it's going to prevent your blood sugar dipping too low and you get that feeling of like a lightheadedness or I'm going to pass out, you know, during my workout. On the flip side of that, you know, recovery is equally as important. It doesn't matter how long you're working out for because you're still damaging your your system. You're damaging your muscles. You're you're damaging your body and there's a, a need for recovery. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, an elite athlete or you're just beginning, you're just starting out, you're running 5Ks or whatever you're damaging your system in some capacity that requires a level of recovery to return back to baseline and hopefully improve. The goal is like to work out, have that stimulus, have a positive effect on your body, and then you show up more fit the next time. It might not happen in 24 hours, but that's how people improve. You apply a stimulus to the body, the body adapts to that stimulus, and then you show up in the future able to handle that same stimulus and more. Um, and so with that comes a level of responsibility to not show up to those workouts in a depleted state, both from energy and from a restful standpoint. Um, and then recovering from those exercise sessions as well. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that, that I did recently is I, I ran a, a 10 K and I was doing, um, I was doing a push assist, you know, wheelchair. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I didn't do, I mean, I hydrated beforehand and, you know, drank plenty of water and didn't take any gels. I think I, you know, I ate, I think I had maybe either bagel and a banana prior to, and I kind of did a nice easy run to kind of warm up beforehand. But then I ran this race and I didn't stop to take any hydration during this 10k mm-hmm. um no fueling whatsoever you know got towards you know at the finish and i think i i did drink a, a bottle of water and then ran back home what is that you know i mean obviously i know that's not the smartest thing to do and in some instances i'm, I'm putting stress on my body but what physiologically what does that do i mean you know how does that affect you know recovery yeah so um it, it all depends on what your condition was going into that situation, right? Like if you're in tip top shape, probably minimal amount of distress. However, um, consider baseline is different for everyone, but like consider you woke up and and you were at baseline before the day started. And so when you dip below baseline, let's say you have, if that whole situation lasted less than an hour, you dip a little bit below baseline, but you're able to replenish thereafter. And so because that situation probably lasted longer than an hour, you dip so low, like your friend in Leadville, right? You're delaying 
the recovery time quite a bit. Like you're you're causing a situation that would require more recovery time, both from food and from rest, so that like if you had maybe fueled a little bit differently, you might not not have been as sore the next day, for instance, if you were, or you might not need as much recovery. Or I've I've done that same situation before, and I just the rest of the day I feel tired and trashed and I feel like a zombie. Whereas if I fuel properly during my workout, I can continue on the rest of my day like a normal human being rather than being totally like a deadbeat couch potato the rest of the day and sore the next day. And I'm just dragging out that recovery process rather than optimizing the situation by fueling during the event, if that makes sense. No, it, it absolutely does. I mean, I, you know, I do recall feeling, you know, sore and it's not, and it's not like it was a, a new distance, you know, that I run for the, for the first time. I typically will run on a regular basis, anywhere from five to seven miles and even on the weekends do 10. So, but I do recall that in the days that followed, I felt probably, uh, you know, more sore than I would have, uh, than any other regular run, um, that I would have done. And gradually, you know, granted the intensity was higher because I, I went, you know, harder and I pushed, you know, you know, a, a wheelchair that I hadn't really trained to do. So there was an mm-hmm. additional intensity and additional effort on my part. Correct. But I did feel that, um, I was definitely, uh, you know, more sore. And if I recall, yeah, I mean, it probably felt tired for a couple of days later where normally I would have bounced back and be able to run, you know, even if it was an easy run the next day. And I just don't think that I, I felt quite that level of energy. So the importance of fueling and being properly, you know, basically filling up that, you know, yet, as you mentioned, the reference to the credit card, right? Mm-hmm. The energy, you know, credit card is that I had depleted it too much and then required a couple extra days in order to fill it back up. That's right. 100% correct. So we haven't really uh, talked about hydration and proper hydration because one of the things that I've, I've, I've heard two different things, right? I've heard, you know, when it comes to hydration, that one, you should drink before you get thirsty because at the point where you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. But then other um, things I've heard is that your body knows when it's thirsty and that you should just drink when you're thirsty. Yeah. No, I think that uh, neither is wrong because – it's different for every person, but in the same respect, honor the fact that you're exercising and there's different stimulus happening at the same time. And so how good, how, how good is your alert system to hunger and thirst during a a workout, right? Your body isn't necessarily concerned with digestion. It's not necessarily concerned with going to the bathroom. It's primarily concerned with converting energy converting molecules into energy or whatever to to apply to the working muscles and so we'll we'll start the conversation with regardless of what you're doing marathon orange theory fitness whatever it might be excluding exercise the goal is to try and get in half of your body weight in ounces of water each and every day water only not coke not gatorade not goo energy labs roctane energy drink mix water only and so that's excluding exercise excluding what you would have on your bike during a long bike ride and so a lot of people that's going to make them go to the bathroom quite a bit because they're not used to taking in you know 60 70 80 or more ounces of fluid 
every day. Like they're immediately going to be going, they're going to go pee so, so often because they're not used to hydrating in that quantity. And then on top of that, once you develop a tolerance and you're able to hold on to a little bit more water, your thirst response will begin to change because you're able to hold on to a little bit more. And so certainly it's, there's nothing wrong with honoring the fact that I'm going to drink when I'm thirsty. However, it is worth mentioning that when you're exercising, if you're waiting until your body tells you you, you are thirsty, it may be too late because during exercise, your body is focused on so many different things that it might, in fact, neglect how, how the timely manner of you're thirsty, you're thirsty, you're thirsty, drink, 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 and then it's too late because what if your body tells you you're thirsty, you didn't bring any water with you, it's a mile to the next water station or to the next water fountain or to the next, you know, where you left your water and you stuffed it behind a stop sign or it's at the car and you've got a ways to go, but you're thirsty right now. And so it's important to recognize that in my humble opinion, not the smartest thing to wait until your body tells you more. So train your body to hold on to water and, and hydrate optimally each and every day, but also train with a, a level of hydration you know, that is applicable to whatever the situation is, you know, if it's as easy as working out and you can always have a water bottle with you or hydration with you, or if you're trying to train your body to be a little bit more resilient, because I don't want to run this race carrying a water bottle. So I am going to wait until the water stations, but I'm going to start to train practice like you play, so to speak. And so I'm going to start to practice as though I'm training for that exact situation coming up in the event. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great information. I mean, I think, like you said, everyone's a little bit different. I've kind of have tried to do both, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of try to anticipate and drink beforehand. And I think that's easier when you're carrying fluids, whether, you know, it's a lot easier when you're on a bike, for instance, or if you're doing ultra and you've got, you know, a hydration pack. But sometimes I know I personally don't like carrying a water bottle if I'm doing anywhere from a three to six mile run, but sure. I know I probably should. And mm -hmm. so I try to replenish my fluids, you know, and drink water afterwards. But one of the things that I've been doing recently is, is like you said, as far as I don't know that I drink enough, you know, and I'll have to do the calculations as to body weight and ounces and all that. But I am trying to, to track the amount of, of, of water that I'm drinking because one of the things that I have, you know, found out recently, and it's something that has come up at least two, if not three times, is that when my body tends to get dehydrated and I'm kind of, you know, running and, and training is that I start feeling some tightness in my calf. And typically yeah. it's, you know, related to the Achilles tendon. And I found out even, you know, as, as short as maybe even three or four weeks ago that it actually prevented me from running. And I had to take, you know, a week off from running. And then I was going on a running vacation and that impacted, you know, you know, how I was able to run. And I'm only now until this past week, have I been able to feel like my calf is back to a hundred percent. And now I'm very conscious about, you know, you know, taking in water throughout the day to prevent those type of issues from occurring. Yeah. You nailed it. I mean, a lot of what we're talking about, what we, what we are talking about, what we will be talking about and, and all of it doesn't happen unless you are relatively hydrated in the most optimal sense of the word. And so 
like like a lot of that is related to hydration, not just from water, but from sodium as well. But when you become dehydrated and your cells become dehydrated, your muscles become dehydrated, your body has a difficulty absorbing and taking in any nutrition whatsoever. And oftentimes it won't until you come to a complete stop, sit down, bring your heart rate back down to baseline, and then you're able to then digest and absorb nutrients. <clears throat> So, I mean, as we're talking about hydration, you, you brought up sodium, you know, what's, what about electrolytes and the importance of electrolytes? I mean, what are the things that we, because a lot of times we think of electrolytes and we think of just sodium. That's right. And so, and it's, it's, that's okay within reason because sodium is the primary electrolyte lost in sweat. Uh, so it's worth definitely keeping that in mind and saying sodium is super important. However, recommendations vary from, you know, 300 to 700 milligrams of sodium. And obviously you look at a dip packages and you see a full spectrum of, you know, amount of sodium that differs between each and every product in terms of how much sodium is offered in each and every one. And so it just boils down to maybe it's important to recommend people to, do their own at-home sweat test. You know, go run, weigh yourself before and after with no clothes on. Don't take anything during that run and see how much water you lose and then see how sweaty or how salty your sweat is and then determine how you feel. And so everybody that's listening, you know, should realize if they haven't already that this is entirely a trial and error type thing where we're talking about advice and recommendations and suggestions, but None. This could work for everyone, and it could work for no one. They're going to have to figure a lot of this out on their own, or you know, talk to a professional that's going to work directly with them and say, based on everything you're telling me, here's I would recommend this sodium number. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from sodium, but I would be definitely careful about how much you take in because my, I might not be the saltiest sweater, and if I overconsume sodium, I run a, a real risk of like ending up in the hospital. Likewise. If you're under-consuming sodium because your your need for sodium is so high, you equally run the risk of ending up in the hospital from under-fueling as well. And so it's it's a good conversation, but it's so it's so individual, individually based. Yes. So I mean, one of the things that I want to also kind of get into because I think it's one of the things that's kind of unique to Goo Energy is you know branch chain amino acids. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we talked about a little bit, um, you know, before we got started was that Goo Energy is probably one of the one, only brands that truly market and put this on their Goo Roctane, um, you know, packets. Now, explain what are branch chain amino acids and how people can benefit from them. Yeah. So branch chain amino acids are those amino acids that your body cannot create or does not create on its own. And so there's over, you know, two dozen amino acids, uh, many of which, you know, are abundant in your body, many of which uh, your body creates on its own, if not all of them. And then you have a branch chain amino acids, and then those that your body doesn't create on its own. And the ones we put in our products, we have leucine, isoleucine, and valine, and they're primarily responsible for regeneration of new muscle tissue or like uh, muscle protein synthesis, and they actually act as an additional energy source uh, aside from glucose and fructose, carbohydrates and sugar. Um, 
that's going to allow your body to have multiple resources to pull from to apply and turn and, and, and give energy to the working muscles. And so they become incredibly important because they're not absorbed in the same way that a carbohydrate, a glucose molecule or a fructose molecule is absorbed. They are absorbed directly in the blood and go directly to the muscle and whatever you don't use, your body will store or it'll just pee out. And so it's not an issue of overconsumption. It's not an issue of, you know, what's going to happen if I take too many, but it is worth con- having a conversation about how important is your muscle tissue to you. And then the fact that this is going to act as an additional energy source is all the more reason to, you know, lean into those ingredients. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's super important. So, I mean, you, this would be, you know, what you would recommend for definitely for longer distances. Cause it seems like it would also kind of help in recovery. That's right. 100%. Yep. Excellent. Well, you know, Jacob, thank you so much. I mean, this has been very educational. I know I have learned quite a bit. I hope our audience has as well. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to of course. you know, educate us to, you know, I know we've all made mistakes and we'll continue to experiment. I mean, we are all an experiment of one and we should all start testing out different fuel sources. You know, Goo Energy is one of the you know brands that we obviously carry. Um, they have a great website, which a lot of great resources, blogs, and, and a lot of glossary terms. We'll uh, provide a link to that in our show notes. Uh, Jacob Geisler, a rep for Goo Energy, triathlon coach, and expert in exercise and nutrition science. Thanks for taking the time to sit with us today, to share your knowledge, to help our listeners perform better. Yeah, Thank I super you. appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll be right back after this break. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back. I hope you guys got a lot from that conversation. You know, Jacob, you know, and I, you know, have shared some of our nutrition mistakes and we could probably go on and on because I know I have made uh, plenty of mistakes and probably will continue, but this is a great opportunity for you to learn from it, to adjust your nutrition, to experiment. And while we, you know, have mentioned goo energy products and obviously you know jacob you know um is a representative for for goo energy they are a um you know a brand that we carry and we would definitely recommend them but at the same time everyone is unique everyone has different needs we are an experiment of one so we would always you know recommend that you try a variety of different things you know come in speak to us we're there to help you um you know, you can learn from our mistakes and our experience, and we can help you achieve the results that you are expecting of yourself. Make sure that you are able to cross that finish line. But most importantly, as Jacob mentioned, recovery. We don't do a good enough job of taking care of ourselves. So make sure you make recovery um, an important part of your training, that you take the time to rest, that you take the time to uh, sleep and at least sleep better and make you know uh, adjustments to your life to reduce that level of stress so that you're able to get to the start line first and foremost and then be able to cross that finish line in the best possible condition that you possibly can. So 
That being said, you know, I hope everyone is enjoying the, this fine fall weather. The temperatures has finally cooled, and I know I'm certainly enjoying my morning runs, you know, finally pulling out the long sleeves, um, and, you know, just my runs are just so much better and for those of you that trained in the heat and the humidity you are reaping the benefits because i know i certainly am running a bit faster than i was uh, you know than in july now that it's october i feel much faster the times show it so keep up with that training so with that all said um we will be back in two weeks until next time remember may your best miles be those covered on foot